This is a special presentation brought to you by the DAFMAP based on one of the lectures given by Harav Yohonasan Berger Schlita. Please check out our other videos and shiurim at www.thedafmap.com. Today's shiur begins 11 lines from the top of Daf Mem Dalid. The opening quote is essentially a posuk that was cited in the Mishnah with regard to the general topic of Torah-based exemptions from battle service. And on the side of our Gemara, we have noted Divrei HaShotrim, the words of the Shotrim before they enter into battle, Asher Eras Isha, and here we're going to refer to the uh, case of the or the the individual of the, uh, that that had uh, married or betrothed a wife that had not yet consummated his marriage with her. The posuk that opens the Gemara is from Devarim Perik Chav Posuk Zayin, and it reads as follows in the Chumash. It reads Umiho Isha Sher Eras Isha Velo Likocha, a man who betrothed. A wife gave her money in exchange for agreeing to marry him, but he hasn't consummated the marriage. Yelech v'yoshov l'beso, he shall return home. Pen yomus b'amilchoma v'yishacher yikocheno, lest he die in battle and some other man then take her. The Gemara. Mi ho'isha sheres isha v'lo l'kocha, tonu rabbonon, asher eras. The Posuk uses that expression. Whether it be the betrothal of a virgin, a girl who had never been married, or the man has betrothed a widow. Likewise, a case of a man uh, who, whose brother died, leaving no children, and he is in the wings to marry his sister-in-law, which is called a yibum marriage. Even in a situation where there were five brothers, one of the brothers died in battle, leaving no children but a widow. Kulon Chosrin, all four surviving brothers are now exempt from continuing into battle. The Posuk, instead of saying lo lokach, it says the lo likacha. Lo lokach means he didn't take her. But velo likacha, it means also he didn't take her. Prat, the, there is a limitation by adding the hey to this word, you have a limitation. Prat, li almona lukain godol. Grusha vachalutza lukain hediot. Several examples of a marriage that is unlawful, and as a result, the soldier is not entitled to return home. Uh, for example, a Kohen Gadol that married an Almona, or a, a Kohen Hedyot, a common Kohen, who um, offered money in exchange for the agreement of marriage of a Grusha, of a divorcee, or a Chalutza, a woman who, who uh, was denied uh, Yibum and did the shoot removal ceremony. Mamzerus Nasino Israel, a Jew who married one of these illegitimate type people of Mamzeres is a, an illegitimate birth and Asino is a descendant from the Givonim, a people prohibited to marry into the Jewish um, 
people. And Bas Yisrael Mamzer Ulanosin, or a, let's say the soldier was a Mamzer or a Nosin, and his marriage was to a regular Jewish girl, rank and file Jewish descendant, that would be a prohibited marriage. And as a result of that prohibition, the soldier does not receive an exemption from battle service. This source tells us that because of the special Gzeira Sakosov of Alo Likacha, so these sinful marriages don't constitute grounds for an exemption. Lema Delok Rabbi Yosei Should we say that this approach is not like that of Rabbi Yosei Glili? Di Rabbi Yosei Ho'omar Hayore Veracha Levov there is an exemption for someone who is faint-hearted and fear-struck. Zeha misyori ma'averishyonas, who refers to someone who's fearful of sins that he has committed. So, if, a, let's say, a, a Kohen married a Grusha, would that not be a sinful act? On those grounds, would he not be able to return home? According to Rabbi we would say yes. And this source says that he does not have an exemption. So it would, have seen, it would seem that the source is not in conjunction with Rabbi Yosei The Gemara says not so. Afilu temo Rabbi We can actually align this source with the opinion of Rabbi Yosei In order to uh, align them, we have to accept Rabbah's principle. Diyama Rabbah, the oilam eno chayav ad shigiv erul. When we speak about a Kohen hedyo, let's say these these Kohen uh, mar- prohibited marriages, the posuk, well, I should say the halacha says that he is not considered having violated the Torah regulations until he actually conducts an act of intimacy with the forbidden woman. In other words, contrary to what we thought up till now that merely betrothing her, merely offering her money in agreement for the marriage was the sinful act. We're revealing here, no, that maybe it's not a nice thing to do, it's not a right thing to do, but we wouldn't call it a, an act for which he would be held liable. He's not chayav, he's not considered as having violated the Torah's precept until actual intimacy. Ma'tam lo lokach. Why does this Torah say not that a Kohen uh, shall not take a Grusha? Mishum lo yechalel. Because of the ramifications that that has. It's not the mere act of betrothal that is the problem. It's the fact that there will be a desecration. Yechalel has to do with the profaning or the desecration of his seed. Mishum hochi Therefore, there is no lashing for this violation of the negative commandment or going not to take a grusha, for example. This is not considered subject to lashing until actual intimacy. Therefore, prior to that, even if a Kohen, let's say, gave money to the grusha for her agreeing to marry him, that would not fall into the under the category of Yore and Rachalevov. So he wouldn't have an exemption on the grounds of Yore for Rachalevov, uh, which is an exemption that Rabbi Yosia Glili acknowledges, but it's not so over here. 
what about the fact that he has offered money and is anticipating a wife, which is generally speaking grounds for exemption? Ah, with regard to that, we have the Xeris HaKosuv, the Lole where there is there are certain kinds of marriages or betrothals which do not result in an exemption. And, and, and these are examples of it. Rashi does a thorough uh, review of these examples that we just said of, we'll say, forbidden marriages that don't have a battle exemption. Let's look together at the Rashi, Dibar Masl Kidarabo, the upper part of the narrow lines in the a column that ordinarily would have Tosfos in it. We mentioned uh, earlier in a previous year that in this parak you see that there are no to- there are no Tosfos and Rashi occupies both columns. So we're reading from the uh, Rashi Dibor Masol Kidarabo. The Yomar Ein Avera BeKidushin Achiv Ol. There is no sin in the actual act of offering money to the forbidden woman. The sin is transgressed only upon the act of intimacy. The result of this forbidden intimacy would create his descendants as being halolim, uh, profaned, or the woman is also, she is ruined. These are forbidden women anyway. There isn't any avera in the in the offering her money uh, for her marriage, the lo lo yikach. The Torah doesn't use the expression lo yikach to begin with. Ella, what? How does the Torah present the prohibition? Lo yavo, lo Different words uh, that indicate to us that the prohibition is at the point of intimacy, not prior to that. Avol almona, when it comes to the issue of the almona to a kohen gadol, the widow to a kohen gadol, ksiv ba lo yikach. The term lo yikach appears. Vikicha heinu kedushin. Kicha is a reference to that initial stage of establishing a marital bond, i.e., offering her money or money equivalent. Veitzderich derabo, and with regard to the almona. There, I will need Rabbah's teaching, the Lotema, that you shouldn't think, Mikidushin Ovad Le Isur. That from the point that money was given, the sin has already taken place, which would have given rise to uh, Rabbiosi Haglili's basis for exemption. So Rabbah tells us not so. The prohibition in the case of a Almonatun Kengodol. And a grusha v'chalutza to coin it Even though you see the expression of lo yikach, don't think that the prohibition is at the point money is given, but it's rather at the point of intimacy. And therefore, Rabbi Yossi Haglili w- would not have offered an exemption at this point, where only money was given to the forbidden woman. Let's turn back to our Gemara. Tonu Rabbanan. These uh, um, opening words of the Brisa really uh, quotes from Psukim 
right that we cited earlier, Psukim in Dvorim Perakhov. And here we have a topic uh, on the side. We have a topic heading to say, and it reads as follows: Seder Hachayim, uh, the order, the proper order for one to lead his life. Hachayim b'chutz We will see a pasuk from Mishle that is darshaned, and it's coming on the heels of the pasuk from the Torah. And as we said, the. Uh, the lesson that this section of more will convey has to do with order, procedure. How do you, what what takes priority over what? Tonu Rabbonon. Asher Bono, Asher Nota, Asher Eras. Asher Bono is a reference to Posuk Hay in Perichof, which deals with the issue of the battle exemptions. A man who built a house and had, had not lived in it yet. Asher Nota, he planted a vineyard and hadn't uh, uh, experienced, uh, enjoyed its fruits yet. That was in Pasuk Vav and Pasuk Zayin. Asher Eras. Notice the order then. You have house, um, field, or vineyard, and then marriage. Limdo, Torah, Derech, Eretz. The Torah is in, in the order. Not only when you learn Torah, you, we're not only word and letter sensitive, even order and placement of things has significance. So here, you have a lesson in life. Derech Eretz. First, the person should build a house and plant a vineyard. Planting a vineyard represents a, a form of income, a source of income. Then, marry. So that a person should have a domicile and a, and a, and a source of income at his uh, behest before he marries the Af Shloimoi Omar Bechachmaso, and likewise Shlomo Hamelech, King Solomon, who's uh, uh, associated with the authorship of the Book of Mishlei, the Book of Proverbs, he has written in his wisdom, Hachain Bachutz Melachtecha Ve'Atada Besodeloch Achar Uvonisa Beisecha. You can by scanning ahead, you'll see in this Tanaic source there are n- uh, numerous approaches to this posuk. The first one is a direct tie-in to the subject that we've been discussing till now. Number one, that expression is a reference to bias. that's establish a house, a physical house. The word soda indicates a, um, a field, a vineyard, crops, income. Now here, the trick is not to translate, but it's to understand something on a deeper level. The Pesach says, and then, Bonisa Beisecha, translate it, and then build your house. It says, Zu Isha. Now, I would like to note that in Gitin, Masechah's Gitin, Dafnum Beisam and Aleph, there's a statement made, if I'm not mistaken, Rabbi Pinchos makes the statement, that, Me'olam lo karisi ishti ishti, Elo ishti beisi, I never refer to my wife, as using the term ishti, my my wife, but rather I refer to her as my house. It's well known that in uh, in the uh, traditional Jewish home, down through the ages, the woman, the wife, is in effect the mainstay. The the uh, we call her the akeres habayis, loshen the iker, the main the mainstay of the house. She takes care of the house's workings. The 
raising of the children, the uh, we've seen already merits that women can accrue through uh, motivating uh, and uh, in, in, in instilling uh, uh, desire for their husbands to learn, learn Torah. So here in this Pesach in Mishle, you see the same concept that the order from Sefer Dvarim uh, teaches. Dovaracher, uh, another approach to this Pesach, is this from here till the end of the source the issue is order of study first one studies mikra scriptures that's the mishnayis which is we'll say the the basis of the Torah Shabbat it's a skeletal presentation of the Torah Shabbat then when you've finished Mishnayis, then you start the study of Gemara. And Rashi says, Gemara loses svara lahavin betame a Mishnah v'alocha kedivrei The role of the Gemara is to offer explanations for the Mishnah. We indicated the Mishnah was a skeletal version of the Torah Shabbat Peh. So you need to embellish upon that which you say in Mishnayis, offering reasons for laws taught therein. And the Gemara also reaches halachic conclusions, which is something that's unique to the Gemara. And as we've learned in the past, one is not to uh, issue rulings, halachic rulings, based on the Mishnayis. Dovar acher, ha'chein v'chutz malach t'chozen mikra u Mishnah, once you've learned the Torah uh, once you've learned the Mishnais and the Gemara, then Elu Maisim Toivim. Then one is ready to fulfill acts of of kindness, acts of loving kindness, Maisim Tovim. And you'll ask, well. How can that be? What Maisim Tovim have to wait that long till you finish uh, all of the Shas? So the answer that would seem appropriate is that Maisim Tovim requires knowledge. Acts of loving kindness are not emotional acts. If one does things emotionally, you can end up doing more harm than good. We've in previous on other occasions we've cited examples to this effect uh, for example visiting the sick that we, everyone would agree is considered a maizetov if one visits the sick because he thinks it's a good thing to do he doesn't really give too much thought before going to visit the sick and just goes to visit the sick did it ever occur that there's certain kinds of ailments that silence is actually preferable the uh, talking and gabbing uh, does not serve the infirmed in good stead. Uh, likewise, there are certain ailments that could actually uh, be a source of embarrassment, and the ailing individual would prefer not being visited. By studying the halachas, the gemaras, one sees uh, the depth of these points and how and when to fulfill and when not to fulfill. Likewise, with regard to giving charity, giving stoka, there's a way to do it. There's a preferred way to do it. You want to do it in such a way that you will limit the amount of embarrassment without 
the study of the topic, without Torah study, a person says, uh, "Oh, he needs money. I'll just I'll just hop on over and give him a give him some cash and say, uh, here, I know things times are times are not so good for you. Uh, maybe this will help you out. Maybe the person prefers uh, uh, anonymity. Prefers." Um, uh, not being uh, 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 recognized and associated with uh, with business failings. So, <coughs> true, you try to help him out, but you end up hurting him even more <coughs> by not having done so, by not having offered the supposed Maisetov in the first place. There's a fourth drasha, Rebbe Lezer, Beno, Shorbiosi, Aglili, Omer, Hachim, Bachutz, Malach, Tachazer, Mikra, Umishna, Ugemara, the marsha on this last expression, drosh vekabel schar, he says, zuhi chokma iunis. Iunis, iun, is a term associated with depth and analysis and uh, a level of understanding that's beyond that which we would refer to as the Gemara per se. The Gemara itself is, as we saw before, an explanation of the Mishnayas. The study of Talmud Bavli is what we associated with Gemara. There's, uh, we'll say, deeper approaches to Torah study. Uh, what exactly is referred to by these deeper levels of Torah study, we're going to leave that as an open issue. But let, it, let us make it very clear that for true success in Torah learning, one must follow the, uh, we'll say, the, the order as uh, prescribed by the, the ones who wrote the book, the Chazal. And uh, for, uh, let's say, a, a further... Um, let's say, discussion on this topic, we highly recommend looking into the famous Sefer Musa called Urchus Tzadikim. You look at chapter 27, especially the second half of that particular uh, chapter, and he elaborates uh, quite a bit on this topic of the significance of following the order as you find in the Chazal. There are quite a few other Gemaras on this topic. We uh, uh, point out the, uh, prominently the Gemara in Maseches Avodah Daf Yud Tes Omen Aleph, and as well as the Gemara in Brochus uh, Daf Samach Gimel and Shabbos Daf Samach Gimel as well, which uh, has uh, points that are, are very much related to this, the significance of order, and uh, um, not will say not like uh, some uh, perceive that uh, one studies a little fraction of, uh, say, a little section of Gemara and then delves into deep analysis of that little section without having the entire background of Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara. Let's now continue in the Gemara itself. The Elu She'enon Choizrin Haboyne Beishar and it went on to say, Rabbi Yudah af bias al said that if one rebuilds a house that fell down, and he rebuilds it exactly as it was originally, that's not grounds for returning. It's not a bias chodosh. It's not a new house. 
And here the Gemara adds that Tana im hoisif bo dimus echad choser. If in his reconstruction of the old house he adds an additional row, a row of bricks, an additional aspect to the structure that wasn't there initially, then he is entitled to the battle exemption. Rebbe Lozer Omer, uh, one who builds a brick house in the Sharon area of Israel does not, in, uh, the, the, on the basis of his building a house there, he does not have a battle exemption. Tona, the house built of bricks in that area doesn't last very long. Twice in seven years, it would need to be rebuilt, and therefore, it's uh, it's a type of house that has very little significance, uh, and, and therefore, thereby not warranting a battle exemption. The Mishnah tells us about others that don't leave their houses in the time of war, as opposed to what we've discussed till now, those that actually go to the battleground and they await the announcement made by the Moshuach Muhammad and uh, the uh, and the Shoitrim telling us who goes back home after having reached the battle lines. In this case, in this section of the Mishnah, there are those that don't even leave their houses in the first place. Tonu Rabbonam, Isha Chadosha. I want to note, though, before we continue on the side, the posuk from Dvarim Perachov Dalid, posuk Hey. Let's read the posuk together. Ki Yikach Ish Isha Chadosha. When a man uh, uh, marries a new uh, woman, lo, new wife, lo yetsei batzava, velo yavor alov lechol davar. He doesn't go into battle, and he and nothing else is passed upon him, is is cast upon him. He remains at home for one year. And he creates joy and happiness for the wife that he has just taken. The Gemara. Isha Chadosha. That's a quote from the Pesach that we just read. That would, if if you stuck to a literal translation, it would sound like when we say a new woman, it would mean a virgin girl. Almona Gushaminayan. How about where would where do I know Almona, a widow or a divorcee? These are women that themselves had experienced marriage prior to this. How do we know that the man that is marrying them also this this kind of marriage also results in an exemption? Tamad Lomar, Isha, Mikol Makom. The uh, word Isha uh, indicates any kind of woman. If we're going beyond the literal meaning of the of the uh, Pesach, so what, what role does the word Chadosha have? Answer, Mi Shechadosha Lo. The Torah is telling us, as long as she is new to him, not that she has to be new to marriage. She's already been married. But she has to be new to him, to this guy. 
Well, who's not new to him? Yotza she'ein chadoshalo. A man who let us say had divorced his wife and is and is now taking her back. He's remarrying her. That remarriage is not grounds for an exemption because she's not new to him. He's already been married to this woman. lo Also, a quote from the pasuk that we read: lo is it to be understood that he doesn't go into actual battle but he does have to supply the soldiers with water, food and tend to road repairs in the Pesach that we read you saw this expression that nothing is to be cast upon him should I include in the uh, in this exemption of the um, of the pasuk we just read lo that he doesn't go at all a man who built a house but he has not yet lived in it or he planted a vineyard but hasn't yet reached the fourth year, or he betrothed the woman but hasn't consummated his marriage, Talmud Lomar, Olov. Olov Iato Mavir, regarding the uh, people we discussed, the people that married a woman and uh, did consummate the marriage, but hasn't been with her for a year yet. A person who had built a house in, as as Hanocho and he had started living in it, and a person who built who, who planted the vineyard and reached the fourth year. The uh, idea of supplying uh, food and drink and road repairs does apply to others. In other words, the only ones that have an exemption even from food supply and road repairs are the people that we mentioned already a few times. Uh, and uh, once the Pasuk says that he doesn't do anything, even the, well, the behind-the-lines actions why does it say that he doesn't go into battle? That's it's obvious. He's not even going to be supplying food. If he goes into actual battle, then he will be in violation of two negative commands, uh, namely lo and lo yavor The Mishnah. Uh, the continuation of the pasuk you can see on the side there's a star. The Mishnah continues. The terms of the pasuk of yore fear struck and rachalevo faint-hearted are taken literally. He cannot stand the we'll call the pressure of battle. And and uh, he cannot tolerate seeing a drawn sword. 
Rabbi Yosef Glila Omer Hayori Vrachalevov Zehu Hamis Yore Min Avera Shabiado. We made an allusion to this opinion earlier in our Shir today. This is a reference to someone who is fear struck, fearful of, of fearful and faint hearted because not of the battle, but because of of uh, sins that he has committed. Uh, I say, I I say not because of battle that. Uh, don't accept that as a as a final statement, but simply in the context of this Mishnah, Rabbi Yisrogeli will is certainly going beyond that which Rabbi Akiva said. Lefikoch tosula Torah as kol elu sheyachzor biglolon. Rabbi Yisrogeli is telling us that someone who is full of sins, who is who is fear struck because of his sins, that he might. By going into battle, he's exposing himself to a dangerous situation, and someone who is sinful is more likely in a dangerous situation to suffer, possibly uh, mortally, uh, than in a non-dangerous situation. So, because these people, uh, we call them the sinners, have an exemption, on the other hand, if they were the only ones to be exempted, they would be very embarrassed. They'd be in a real bind. How, how can they, if they start walking away from the battle, people will then all will recognize, yeah, here's the sinner. Therefore, Rabbi Yossi tells us the Torah uh, go, goes out of its way to afford exemptions to others. That's, as we mentioned, the Erasisha, Bonabias, those cases, so that when people are seen withdrawing from the battle lines as a result of the uh, these uh, announcements made by the Meshuch Muhammad and the Shaitrim, the public that sees people returning or withdrawing from the battle, they'll say, oh, he, he must have built a house, or he must have just married a, a, a wife, and, and they won't say, oh, they're, they're, they're the sinners. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Almona l'koyen gadol, grusha v'chalutza l'koyen hediot, mamzeres unosim l'israel, bas yisrael l'mamzer l'nosin, Four types of forbidden marriages. We already alluded to them earlier today. Hare elu hayore varachalevov. These are what the Torah has in mind when it says the the fearful and faint-hearted. The Gemara will have to deal with what's the difference between what Rabbi is saying and Rabbi Yossi Haglili. After Rabbi Yossi Haglili said yore varachalevov for people that are involved with sin. These are four sinful type marriages. So are they not one and the same? We'll wait for the Gemara. The Pasuk says that when the Shotram finished their announcement, uh, the um, uh, military leaders uh had uh let's say officers that were positioned at the the front Barosham and Okay Okay was the the rear the which the rear in effect is the other head of there's the forward head of the of the uh troops and then there's the back. It's also a type of head. So the word Akevo literally has to do with the heel, but it's the it's the rear uh of the uh, troop assembly. So you would have uh, ministers or officers appointed at the front and the back. Ma'amidim zikifim l'thneim v'achirim me'achorehem u'kshilim shilbarzo We take a look at the Rashi 
Maminim Zikifim Milifnehem, Beroisha Shilpsara Muhammad on the front of the battle assembly, of the front line of troops. Maminim Bene Odom Giborim, Mimunim Lukach, warriors were appointed and placed there. Shimipol Echod Min Alchomim, if one of the soldiers, one of the fighters falls, Yamidu. They'll pick him up, they'll strengthen him, they'll encourage them, all, uh, so that people while fighting uh, won't be discouraged. So they'll see, uh, so that anyone who falls is immediately raised and repositioned and strengthened. Those are the Zikifim, Foloshim from the expression Zokaf Kfufim. You know that maybe from the Davening. Is okay to straighten out someone who is otherwise bent or falling. The uh, Rashi goes on and says, and then there were others appointed officials in the rear. Ukshilim Shilbarzel, Rashi says, Lishmor Shalo Yanusu, Ukshilim Kain Chitzim Shikor, and he gives you a French word to type they these people in the rear. They were officers that had particular arms, weapons, called kshilim. And Rashi describes them as types of an arrow-like uh, weapon. And what were these kshilim used for? So we continue in the mission, the bottom line, the cholam evakish lachsor, any uh, soldier at this point, when, they've, when all the exemptees have withdrawn, so now everyone who's left is expected to fight. And anyone at this point that wants to back out, these officials that are at the rear of the troops have the right to uh, literally to uh, cut down their their legs. That's the They can physically um, um, afflict anyone that tries to uh, run from battle. And why? We continue at the top of Omid Beis, Shetchilas Nisa Nefila. This expression is not clear. The Gemara later on will have to explain it. Uh, Rashi foreshadows the Gemara later. At the top line, uh, Rashi says, Shetchilas Nisa Nefila. The Gemara Parach Ipcha Miboyale. The truth is that the opposite should have been said. Sheha Nisa, he. Tchilas hanafila. Nafila literally means falling. It means we'll say it means defeat. So that the text as it is, it says that the beginning of of escape is defeat. When more accurately, it should say the beginning of defeat is through escape. When when uh, soldiers see that some of their their comrades are running away, they lose heart and. And then everyone uh, fails, and they will then suffer defeat. So the beginning of de- of nefila of defeat is nisa is running, but that's not what it says in our text as it is. So we'll have to wait for that later to be dealt with in the Gemara. Shenemar the pasuk says nos Yisrael lifnei plishtim v'gam agefa gedola choisa ba'am ulahalon hu omer ve'anusu anshe Yisrael mitnei plishtim v'yiplu chalolim v'gomer. What you see from these psukim is that uh, this was a the psukim are describing uh, uh, battles with the plishtim, and the pasuk describes the 
uh, running of the Jews from the Plishtim, and as a result of that, they suffered a Magefa Gedola, they suffered a, a, a great defeat. We continue in the, in the Mishnah, At this point in the Mishnah we have a number one, because in a few lines Rabbi Huda will appear and we'll call him number two. This is a qualification. When do these things apply? And Rashi on the second line from the top says, uh, Under what circumstances do we, do we entitle uh, withdraw from the battle lines? We mention a man who just got married, a man who built a house and started living in it. When, when do these things apply? Uh, we had others that don't even leave their houses. We have two categories, those that go to the battle area, the battle lines, and the uh, and the Shoshra make their announcements, and as a result, there is, uh, ex- there is exemption from continuing into battle, and we had others that didn't go to the battle lines at all. All of this, this is qualified to, and limited to, so we continue in the Mishnah. The, we'll call it the, the, this topic of exemptions applies to uh, elective wars. When it comes to milchamos that are classified not as optional uh, wars, but mitzvah wars. Everyone goes. Even a bridegroom who just got married and the kala from her marriage canopy means they're freshly married, no exemption. Why? Because you're dealing with a milchemes mitzvah. What is meant by a milchemes mitzvah? So Rashi on the third line from the top says, Avol b'milchemes mitzvah, kegoin kibush eretz Yisrael bimei Yoshua hakol yotzen. Uh, the the wars that were led by Yoshua in the conquest of the land, uh, wars like that, where the Almighty commanded the Jewish people to battle their way into conquering the land. That's a Mohammed's mitzvah. For that, there's no exemption. Let's continue in the Mishnah. Amar Vamamurim, the same opening as the Tanakhama. Under what circumstances do we have these? aforementioned exemptions, b'melchemes mitzvah, avo b'melchemes choiva, hakol yoitzin, afilu choson, mechadro, v'kala, mechupasa. These are expressions that the Gemara will deal with. They have to be explained. Uh, is there a direct contradiction between Tanakama and Rabbi Yehuda, where Rabbi Yehuda seems to be lenient in the sense that a melchemes mitzvah is grounds for uh, exemption and the Tanakhama said no, that will be the subject of the Gemara later on. But one thing is clear that Rebuta has a we'll say a higher level of obligation in when it comes to a Mechemes Chova. So it, whatever the Tanakhama said about a Mechemes Mitzvah that HaKol Yotzim even Chosim Mechadro those very same words Rebuta says when it when applied to a Mechemes Chova Chova Chiyuv Something that translated would come out obligatory. The Gemara, my Iko Bain the Rabbi When we learned the Mishnah, we already alluded to this question, to this problem. Rabbi spoke about the 
Kohen and the forbidden marriage. So he doesn't have a an exemption. An almona to a Kohen Godol or a divorcee to a Kohen Hedyot. Rabbi Yossi says there's no exemption. No military exemption. And according to Rabbi Yossi Glili, people who are fearful of sins that they've committed, they have an exemption. Uh, let's just go over the last uh, the last points again. I think I was a, a little inaccurate. With whether it's Rabbi Yossi or Rabbi Yossi Glili, both opinions in the Mishnah are in, are referring to the posuk that Yorei Varacha Levov are exempted. According to Rabbi Yossi, Yorei Varacha Levov describes an Amon Lukoin Golol. It describes a sinful marriage. Rabbi Yossi Glili says people who have sins are Yorei Varacha Levov. They are also exempted. Well, what's the difference then between them? Iko Binayu. Avera de Rabona. The difference between Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Glili would be someone whose whose sin is a rabbinic. It's a sin of a rabbinic nature. In other words, a rabbinic command is stated, and this guy, this offender, has violated something of a rabbinic nature. According to Rabbi Yossi Aglili alone, he would have a right to withdraw. Rabbi Yossi not to be confused with Rabbi Yossi Glili, Rabbi Yossi specified Torah-level offenses. He specified Almona to a Kohen Gadol. That's a Torah-level offense. A grusha is a Torah-level offense when it comes to marrying a Kohen. But if his sins are concerning rabbinic commands, rabbinic matters, so according to Rabbi Yossi, he would not have an exemption. We have a, a, an unnamed Tanaic source, and we're asking who would who would author this? The source deals with Tfilin. Tfilin are uh, are uh, practiced by male uh, Jews uh, every morning. Some people actually wear them all day. There's a Tfilin Shel Rosh and a Tfilin Shel Yad. We put on the Tfilin Shel Yad, the arm Tfilin first. And in the singular, the word tefillin, when you want to refer to a singular, we'll say uh, box, we call them a tefillah. Not to be confused with the word, the same spelling, uh, referring to uh, uh, to prayer, or I should say the same sound, whether or not it's the same spelling, that's already, we have to leave that aside. Maybe one is spelled with a yud and the other without. But for our purposes, the same sounding word, uh, tefillah, it could be prayer, it could be a singular of tefillin. When putting on tefillin, the halacha demands silence, i.e. no uh, mundane talk uh, between putting on the tefillin shel yad and the tefillin shel rosh. Mundane common talk, any talk for that matter, other than the if, if it's a question of reciting a benediction, that obviously is okay, that itself is a machlokis rishonim, but idle talk certainly is strictly forbidden between putting on the tefillin shel yad, which you put on first, and then the tefillin shel rosh. And what does it say in this source? It says soch. That's idle talk or common talk. Bein tefillah, the tefillah between the arm tefillin, which you put on first, and then the head tefillin, the tefillin shel rosh. Avera he That is considered a sin. Uh, Rashi adds, "It's a sin if he doesn't make a if he doesn't make a new bracha 
on the tefillin shel rosh as a result of having spoken. So, the, um, so the the, the the conversation between tefillin shel yan and tefillin shel rosh is a sin. And as a result of this kind of sin, and I'm, I would imagine most of you would conclude and and right, rightfully so, this is a rabbinic offense. This is grounds for withdrawing from battle. The grounds that we've described as Yori and Rachalevov. Keman, who would author this? Rubiosi Haglili. This would conform to Rubiosi Haglili, who we just pointed out before this source, is of the opinion that all sins, even rabbinic offenses, is enough for a person to rely on as an, a, uh, as an, as a reason for exemption, for being considered Yori Varachalevov. Man Tano Loha de Tanu Rabbonon. We have a Tanaic source, and we want to know who would the author of this unnamed source be? Shoma Kul Kronos Virtiav. Fellow hears the, the, the sounds of the trumpets that are used in battle, and he becomes shaken up. Hagofas Tresen Virtiav. Here's the clanging of the shields that soldiers use, and he is fear struck. Tsichsua Harovos. And he hears. The the sharpening or the, uh, the 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 banging of swords one on the other, and as a result is he's losing control of his of his system and he ends up uh, literally urinating uh, out of fear. Choser he goes back he is allowed to withdraw. Very simply we've some we've just described someone who is literally faint hearted and fear struck because of the of, of the battle environment. He's allowed to go back. Withdraw from the battle. Keman, based on whom is this? Lema Rabbi Akiva Hivalo Rabbi Yosi Should we say this conforms to Rabbi Akiva alone and not according to Rabbi Yosi Because when we, and when we read the Mishnah, we suggested maybe this is the case that Rabbi Akiva says Yorei Varachalevov Kimashmo as it is. Simple translation of those words is one who's fear struck and faint hearted. Rabbi Yossi he interpreted those words as referring to sinfulness. So this Tanaic source, which doesn't deal with sinfulness, it deals simply with a person who's fear-struck, has a right to withdraw. Maybe that's only Rabbi Akiva, not Rabbi Yossi The Gemara answers, Baha afilu Rabbi Yossi concedes this too is grounds for return. Ah, but it, it, he said that Yore and Rachalevov mean sins. So the Gemara tells it it's, it doesn't mean only sins because the Pusik also says Mishum Yimas The Torah doesn't want someone who is going to cause others to lose it, to literally for their hearts to be melted. Well, who who would cause that? Someone who is there in battle with his knees shaking out of fear and who can't even withhold his own waist because he's so frightened. Someone, if you leave someone like that in battle, it'll cause others to become discouraged. And as a result, even Rabbi Yossi Aguili acknowledges that when we speak of Yore and Rachalevov, we're not, we're not coming to the exclusion of someone who is simply fear-struck because of the battle conditions, but the battle of the circumstances of war. We continue in the Gemara. This is a quote from the 
Torah, Devorim Perik Chof Pasuk Tes. The the Torah says, "Vehoyo kechalos hashoychim ledaber eloam ufakdu sorei tsevois beroish haam." Mishnah spoke about the appointing of officials that would be at the front of the troops and behind the troops and the uh, necessity of having them was so as to prevent defectors from uh, leaving the battle and bringing down the morale of the others. Here, the Gemara quotes the Mishnah, raises the problem we raised when we were studying the Mishnah. You have a little arrow to the right-hand side of the text. You can see where this is a quote from. Hi, mipnei shetchilas nisa the, we explained that the uh, the uh, officers with the with the, the arms behind the troops was to was to uh, uh, deter anyone from running away because uh, defection and and escape is the beginning the beginning of 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 uh, running is uh, defeat that doesn't make any sense rather the beginning of defeat. Nisa mi It should have said, it, it should have. The Mishnah should have stated it thusly that the beginning of the the first signs of defeat uh, is is escape and defection. So the Gemara says, you know, that's a good point, Amor. So really, the Mishnah should say that nefila. The beginning of defeat, Nisa, is through defection. Rabbi Yochanan. He comes to, we'll say, uh, moderate or or qualify the machlokes that we saw in the Mishnah. I say machlokes be, simply because there's a Tanakamo and Rebutif. Rebutif wasn't coming to argue; he wouldn't have appeared in the Mishnah. So, but we haven't really focused on what is their point of machlokes. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rishus de Rabbonon Zuhi Mitzvah de Rabbi Huda. What the Rabbonon call Rishus, Rebuta refers to by the term mitzvah. In other words, they're they're one and the same. Those words are into what the as we say what the rabbanon referred to as rishus. Rebuta refers to as mitzvah. And mitzvah the rabbanon. What the rabbanon referred to by the term mitzvah zuhi choiva the Rebbe Yuda. That's what Rebuta refers to when he says milchemes choiva. Well, if that's all, then there wouldn't be any machlokis in the Mishnah. So. Rabbi Yochanan obviously understands that there is a machlokes. So Omar Rava, Rava explains Rabbi Yochanan. There are three categories that we'll see. Concerning two of the categories, there is no disagreement. It's only one of the th- one of these three cate- categories that will be the basis of disagreement. Omar Rava, milchomos Yoshua lichboish. The wars of Yoshua. Yoshua led the Jewish people into the land of Israel and was ordered by the Almighty to battle and will and eradicate the local population. That everyone agrees, Divriakol Choiva. The Rabbonon, Rabbiuda agree. That it's called it's obligatory, and the, the the practical application of that is 
that the Chosan Mechadro and the Kala Mechuposa, they are to go into the battle and do what they have to do in, 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 in war, in the war effort. So there's no disagreement about that type of battle. Milchomois Beistoved L'Revocha Revocha means uh, literally increase or profit. If you study the Gemara in Brochus, pretty much in the beginning of the first parak, and it's, there's also a, a parallel Gemara in Masechus and Hedron, I believe. This has to do with elective wars. Situations where, as, as nations of the world do, uh, they w- increase their, uh, if they have the power to, they will uh, increase their landholding, their boundaries. They can actually capture uh, neighboring populations and extract taxation, uh, impose taxation upon them. So that type of battle where the, uh, which David HaMelech engaged in, he, he conquered areas north of Eretz Yisrael, it's called uh, Aram Tsova. That's Milchemes based David. Wars like those conducted by David for, as we say, elective purposes, the Revocha for profit, Divrei Hakoil Rishus. Everyone will agree that's called optional, and all the exemptions that we've mentioned till now will apply, and and certainly the 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 Chosen, uh, and the Michadro and Kala will not take place then. Key pligi, under what circumstances is there a machlokes? Limute oivde kechavim delolesi alayhu. Uh, here we're going to translate the Gemara, and I, I just must uh, mention by way of, uh, uh, we'll say, disclaimer or er- editorial pre- prefatory note that this uh, Gemara is actually uh, lies at the at the heart of a great deal of, uh, we'll say, um, halachic ferment to be politically correct uh, that takes place. Nowadays, I say nowadays, that means as this recording is being made. Uh, if you are listening to this recording many years afterwards and things have changed, so be it. But as, uh, as of the, uh, the date of this recording, uh, in the year Tovshin Ayin Hei, uh, there is a great amount of, of, of discussion in, in halachic circles concerning this topic. Um, and the literal translation would have to do with reducing or eliminating um, enemies of Israel, uh, idol worshippers, Gentiles, uh, eliminating them so that they do not come upon us. In other words, they uh, they have um, uh, warlike uh, tendencies, uh, the intention of fighting us, so in, we'll call this uh, defensive battles. Uh, defensive battles might entail preemptive strikes, but that's, as the Gemara says, that's to e- that's to eliminate them so that they do not come upon you. So it has to do with, we'll say, national defense. How are we to categorize this? More Kori law mitzvah. Rabbi refers to this by the term mitzvah. More Kori. Rishus. And the Rabbonon referred to this type of 
war, uh, uh, this type of battle, this type of war effort, as Rishus. Nafgamina, the, the practical difference between them is the how do we apply the concept or the rule of Oiseg B'mitzvah Potem in a mitzvah. The halacha says that when you're in the middle of performing a mitzvah, you are thereby exempt from doing other mitzvahs. That, that namely, that while doing, by, while being engaged in the performance of a particular mitzvah, so that takes precedence over other mitzvahs that come your way later and will say, and would then uh, compete with the mitzvah that you're currently involved in. So that if you classify this as a milchemes mitzvah, so you're oisek be mitzvah, and therefore you'll be exempt from other mitzvahs that would uh, would interfere with your fulfillment of this mitzvah, this this battle. According to the Rabbonon, it's not classified as a mitzvah, so it, it doesn't represent grounds for uh, exemption from doing other mitzvahs that arise at this time that you're involved with the uh, battle efforts. Uh, so here the Gemara says that this kind of battle so defensive wars uh, uh, are, are the point of controversy and the, the manifestation of this controversy is regarding the point of what about in this kind of effort. So let's take a look at Rashi. There's a Rashi a bit earlier, uh, Rishus de Rabbonon. Now the Rashi we're looking at is halfway down the uh, Rashi. Uh, again, Rashi occupies both sides of the Gemara page. So we're looking at what would be the Toysus column. Rashi, Rishus de Rabbonon, Zuhi Mitzvah de Rabbi Huda. Let's read the Rashi there. That kind of war that the Chachomim say is Rishus, the Ein Chosan Yoitse law, and the newlywed man is not going to depart from his. As, as, uh, his marriage, as uh, was his, his need to be with his wife for the sake of the battle. So on that kind of battle that the Rabbonin call Rishus, Omar Nami Reb Yehuda the Ein Choson Yoitze Law Eloshe Reb Yehuda Kore Osa Mitzvah. So as Rava points out, what is it? What kind of battle? Is it or which battle is it that the Rabbonans say is called Rishus and Rabbutas say that would be called Mitzvah? Rava says that is the Limute Ebdikom Delesilayu. So that there is agreement between Rabbiuda and the Rabbonon regarding the Chosan and Kala total exemption. What is the point of difference between them? The nafkamino lefotro mishar mitzvus b'odo osuk ba kin meforish rov of ozil. The point of difference between Rabbi Yudah and the Rabbanan is exempting a person from other mitzvus while he's engaged in this kind of war effort of we'll call it defensive war effort. What we've done is simply presented the Gemara. Gemara markings 
never attempts to reach uh, uh, applied halachic conclusions, and and all the more so in areas that are, we'll say, uh, the subject of great, we'll say, controversy and debate. For that, one has to go much further and learn uh, the appropriate meforshim, uh, rishonim, achronim, and gedoyli Israel, etc., in order to come to a final conclusion. With the, the assistance of the one above, you can see we've reached the end of the eighth parak of Sota. Now we continue with the ninth parak and final parak of our Masechta. The parak begins with one of the topics that we had seen at the beginning of the seventh parak, listed in the Mishnah of things that need, when recitation takes place, must be done in Hebrew. The topic Egla Arufa concerns with concerns the uh, unfortunate circumstances of discovering a murder victim between two cities. Uh, measuring must be done in order to determine unto which city this murder victim is closer, and when that's determined, a ceremony takes place. In the meantime, let's make it clear we do not know who the murderer is. And we associate the, we'll say the, the the problem or the need for atonement uh, on the city that's closest to the victim, and part of that ritual uh, involves, or I say, the ritual is the bringing of a calf, and the calf is brought to a specific uh, described location. A, uh, a heavy knife or um, an axe is used to chop its head from behind. We're not dealing with uh, slaughter, uh, ritual slaughter. We call shechita. It's a different process, but it's the it's the decapitation. Uh, and there are psukim that are recited. The um, you see the different participants in the ceremony. Uh, there are members of based in Agodo, members of Sanhedrin. There are the elders of the city that to whom, which is closest to the to the victim, and there are Kohanim that all participate in this. The Mishnah uh, opens and says, "Eglo Arufa Beloshan Hakodesh." The recitations that characterize Eglo Arufa must be said in. Hebrew. Uh, we take a look at Rashi. Egla Rufa Boloshana Kedish Nameris, Masha Zikanim Oimrim, Yodenu Lo Shofchu, that's in Perik, Chof Aleph of Devorim Posuk Zion, Valkanim Omrim, Kapir Lamchu Yisraelis in Posuk Ches, Boloshana Kedish, Uzkuku Minatur Lomra. They are required from the Torah to say these in Hebrew. How do you know that it has to be said in Hebrew? So, the Mishnah quotes a Posuk, but when we uh, look at the Pasuk, we're going to ask ourselves as the Gemara itself does how do you see Hebrew in this Pasuk? So it says Ki motze shenema Ki motze cholo badoma V'yotze zikeinecha v'shoftecha The Pasuk we've written on the side Pasuk Aleph says Ki motze cholo badoma Asher Hashem elokecha noisein loch lirishta nofeo basode lo noda mi hiko and Posik Beis went on to say, "Biyotzes zekeinecha v'shoftecha." Uh, 
on this, the Yotzah Zekeinech Shoshavtecha, that means uh, there shall come forth or go forth the elders and the judges, Shloisha Mibezdin Agolosh Yerushalayim HaYotzim. Three members of the high court of the Sanhedrin that sat in Yerushalayim, they would have to appear here. Three. And they came for the purpose of measuring to which city is the body that's found closer. The Mishnah continues, Rebuta Omer, Hamisha. Five judges from the high court would do this. Shenemar, Zekenecha, Shnaim. Veshoftecha, Shnaim. These words appear in the plural, and the minimal, minimum plural form is two. So, Zekenecha, two uh, elders, two judges. These are literal translations, but for our purposes, we're, we're uh, um, dealing with members of the high court. The Ain based in Shokul, you cannot have an even number of judges. You can't have an even number of people that represent a, a judge, an act of judgment, a court. The Torah itself says that when coming to a legal decision, you must follow the majority. When you speak about following the majority, that means that the number of people there has to be an odd number. Because otherwise, you could, you could have a situation, well, a split decision, where you don't have a majority. And the Torah uh, seems to be telling us that the number of judges must be such that and under all circumstances, you will have the possibility of a majority. So, if you just say two and two, that's four. Ein bez and shokul. A shokul means an even number. You can't have a, literally means a balanced number. Therefore, moisifen aleim odechad. We add one more. So, according to Rebuta, there are five members of the Sanhedrin. The Tanakhama says three. Nimsa tomon bagal otoli bilan. If the body is found uh, buried under a heap of stones or suspended in a tree, otsof al penei hamayim, or floating uh, on water, lo hoyu orphan. Orphan is a reference to the arufa, the the ceremony of the egla uh, arufa. For our purposes, under those circumstances, there's not going to be any egla arufa ceremony. Shinemar. The Posuk said, and we read this Posuk Aleph in Perikhov says, Bo Adoma. You found the Cholol, Bo Adoma, below Tomon Bagabo. That means on the ground, not under a heap of stones. No fail. The Posuk made reference to the body had fallen, below Tolubil, and not suspended in a tree. Basadeh, in the field, below Tsafal Penei Hamayim, not floating on water. If the victim was found, Sfar means the border, the the, uh, border, the national border. Oh, or that's found the ear. Uh, it's Somoch to a, a city uh, that's Ruba of the that the majority of that city are idol worshippers. Or a city that doesn't have a court in it. Lo hoyu modidim. There would not be any measuring that takes place. Ein modidim eloleir shiyesh ba beistin. This seems to be redundant. The Gemara will deal with it. It says here that no measuring is done unless 
there is a uh, unless it's to a city that has in it a court. What we've done, if we, we've, tra- we've translated the Mishnah, what, what the basis of these points are, we'll, we'll leave for the Gemara later on. The Gemara asks, after being told that Egla Rufa is done in Hebrew, a Pusuk was cited, and it didn't seem from the Pusuk that there was any reference to a restriction to Hebrew. Therefore, the Gemara asks, my Komar. How do you see Lashon HaKadosh from the Pasuk that was quoted in the Mishnah? Omar Rabbi Avo, Hochi Komar. Rabbi Avo says the Mishnah is to be understood thusly. So now we have to elaborate, the Gemara elaborates, and, and then you'll see how everything fits together. The Mishnah opened up by saying that Egla Rufa is Lashon HaKadosh, Shenemar. The Pasuk says in Devorim, Perek, Perek Chof Aleph, Pasuk Zion. Pasuk Zion is let's say, further into the story. We, we cited before Pasuk Aleph where the uh, Torah mentioned a body was found and they have to then proceed with, a, with an entire ceremony. And by Pasuk Zion it says, Shenema v'yonu v'yomru. There, the Pasuk is making reference to the, uh, the announcements, the recitations uh, that, have, that take place. Uh, the Pusik speaks about the elders of that closer city. Onu uh, v'yomru, they speak up and they say, Yodenu lo shafhu es hadama zevenu lo rowi. As far as what the Pusik means itself, we'll have to wait for the Gemara to describe that later. But the elders of the city make an announcement to, claiming innocence from having been, let's say, responsible for the murder. So that term, Onu v'yomru, that's the key for us. Elsewhere in the Torah, by the instructions concerning Har, Grizim, and Har Eval. This is a subject, topic that we discussed quite extensively in the seventh parak, where there was a national uh, blessing and cursing that took place. It says there, regarding Har, Grizim, and Har Eval, it says, V'onu halavim v'omru v'chulei. Just like by Har Grisma Eval, it was proven that it was done in Hebrew. Uh, that's not our focus right now. That's a gift for us. That's a given that we've already discussed. How you know that over there? But for our purposes, Har Grisma Eval was done in Loshan Hakodesh in Hebrew. Avkan. So to Egla Rufa, but Loshan Hakodesh, because you see the same expression of the Onu, uh, the Omru. The Seder Egla Rufa Ketzad. Now, the how how does the ceremony take place in order of events? So there now that is where the th- this is where there is a relevance to the pasuk quoted in our Mishnah. Okay, and how is the Seder Egla Rufa? Ki if you find a murder victim, and as the Mishnah went on to say, then the the, the elders come together, according to Tanakhama, three members of the high court came for the measuring. So when you look at things now, the Mishnah opened up with a halacha, Egla Rufa and now the source for that opening halacha you didn't see in the original Mishnah text. And that's what Rabbi Avo is filling in over here. And that is, V'onu halavim v'yomru. That Gezerah Shava of V'onu v'yomru. 
the Mishnah mentioned a pasuk he might say, well, what precedes that is Ketzah, the Seder Eglo Arufa Ketzah, which also Rabbi Avo inserted here. So we, just to review the structure of things, the opening law of the Mishnah is explained by, let's say, verses that we are not in the Mishnah, and the verse quoted in the Mishnah is a reference to a law that's not, or a, a phenomenon that's not stated in the Mishnah. Rabbi Avo, of course, filled in all the blanks. We continue in the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda Omer Hamisha. Here, the topic at hand is introduced by the, you know, say, the topic heading we have on the side, Makoros Lemispar Dayonim Legla Rufa, sources regarding the number of judges required for the Egla Rufa ceremony, which, uh, which includes, at the early stage of the ceremony, the measuring from the corpse to the nearest town, uh, um, and the uh, Mishnah presented to us a machlokis between the Tanakamo said three members of the great Sanhedrin, and Rabbi said five. Rabbi Rabona. Here we have a Tanaic source, and it presents the two opinions. But the first opinion in this Tanaic source, in this Bryce, is actually Rabbi the five opinion, and, Rabbi, and he's followed by Rabbi Shimon, who represents the three judges' opinion. The We'll say opposite order from the way the opinions were presented in our Mishnah. Tonu Rabbonon, v'yotzu zekeinecha v'shoftecha. Zekeinecha equals shnayim, v'shoftecha equals shnayim, v'hein bezin shokol, mosivam lem odechad, since you can't have an even number of, court, of uh, members of the court there, we add one more, harei kan chamisha, divrei rabbi Yudah. That gives us a total of five. Rabbi Shimon Omer, zekeinecha equals shnayim, the ain base in shokel two is also an even number. You can't have an even number. It's therefore, we add one more. Hare kan shlosha, giving you a total of three. Well, when we read Rabbi Shimon, we see he darshans the word zekenecha. He made no reference to the shoftecha word, which Rabbi Yehuda did account for. For Rabbi Shimon, nami Rabbi Shimon, we ask, does it not say? Uh, which would se- seemingly include another two, and you would get you would have five, not three, like you said. So Rabbi Shimon will answer, "Ahumi He needs v'shoftecha lemiuchodim she v'shoftecha. When we speak about uh, the uh, the need for members of the court, which court? So Rabbi Shimon says, from the word v'shoftecha, I learn that it means the highest judges the, the, the elders that are the judges of all of Israel, that means members of the court of, of 71 that sat in, just, in judgment in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Lishkas HaMikdash so that's what Rabbi, so Rabbi Shimon tells us that the word Vishavtech is not here for number purposes for Rabbi Yudah Nafka Rabbi Yudah he says Shoftech is here for number purposes. How does Rabbi Yudah know that the judges that are present for the measuring ceremony or the measuring procedure they are from the high court? Well, since the Torah didn't just say Ziknei, but it says Zikinecha, that change in, in grammar leads uh, Rabbi Yudah to say the special ones. The Pesach could have said Ziknei, 
But it says Zikinecha means the special ones amongst the Zikinim. For Rabbi Shimon, his response to that is, because of Rahmona Zikne, had the Torah used the word Zikne alone. You see, before we go on, just to repeat what Rebuta said, Rebuta said that there, because of the word Zikinecha, I understand top judges, uh, which I wouldn't have understood from the word zikne, but by writing zikinecha, now I understand top judges. Rabbi Shimon says, I would not have come to that conclusion. Why not? In Kosov Rahmona zikne, had the Torah written that, uh, the word as such, Hava Amino, I would have thought, Afilu zikne hashuk. I would have thought it simply, it means old men that are found in the, in the market, old, old men from the public without any uh, allusion to scholarship. Kosav Rachmona Zekenecha. The word Zekenecha indicates men, uh, uh, elders in terms of scholarship. So that, as far as Rabbi Shimon is concerned, Zekenecha wouldn't have been sufficient for telling me top judges. It just would have been to the exclusion of, of um, elderly commoners. Had we been left with the word Zikinecha and not the word Shoftecha, I would have thought uh, members of a Sanhedrin Katana. Sanhedrin Katana is a reference to uh, courts of 23 that were entitled to judge capital cases, but they were not the top court. Therefore, the Word Shoftecha had to be used to exclude uh, members of a Sanhedrin Ketana. And hence, those top judges that sat in judgment in the Lishkas HaGozis, the special chamber that was part of the Beis HaMikdash. So as far as Rabbi Shimon is concerned, Shoftecha is certainly not for number purposes. For Rabbi Yudah, Gomar, Zikne Zikne, Mi Zikne Ho'edah. At this point, uh, it would appear that Rabbi Huda has to, let's say, defend himself against Rabbi Shimon's seemingly convincing argument. So that the question is, uh, after having heard Rabbi Shimon, I, Rabbi Huda will come to the realization that uh, the Zikinecha would not be sufficient for getting me to the conclusion of top judges. So how do I reach that conclusion? So Rabbi Yudah says, we'll say it's a new approach. Rabbi Yudah, Gomar Zikne Zikne, a word comparison. Mi Zikne Ho'eda. This is a posset found in the context of a Parhelam Dover Shel Tzibor. It's a special korban brought on the occasion that the high court makes a, an error in judgment. And that topic of Zikne Ho'eda, that topic of Parhelam Dover Shel Tzibor, is in fact restricted to the case of the highest court. Just like there, the word zikne appears. It refers to the special, the choicest of the judges, the top judges. So to an Egla Rufa, where the word zikne appears as well, the Gemara asks, oh, if this is Rabbi Yudah's approach, then if he has a Gezerah Shava from Par Helam Dover Shel to the topic of Egla Rufa, 
then he should go all the way with that word comparison, including the issue of numbers. Because in the topic of there's a requirement of the placing of hands upon the head of that sacrifice that we call how many Zikanim are to do that? That's what's called, it's called Smicha. Smicha is the placing of the hands on the uh, animal's head. How many are to do that? Well, according to Rabbi Huda, in Par Helam Dovashitzibor, five judges do that. So, if Rabbi Huda is going to learn a Gezerah Shava from Par Helam Dovashitzibor to the topic of Egla Rufa with regard to uh, the need for Sanhedrin Hagadol members, why not continue and conclude the matter of numbers as well from Par Helam Dovashitzibor? Namely, just like by Parhelam Dovashitzibor, where Rebuta says five are required, so too by Eglarufa, five should be required. And if so, Zikenecha Veshoftecho Lomali. What do I need the Zikenecha Veshoftecho words for? Which, up till now, we thought those words were the basis of the five. Ella, Veshoftecho Kerebi Shimon. We're going back to the drawing board. As far as we are concerned, as far as Rebuta is concerned, the word Vishoftecha, uh, certainly, uh, I should also add here, Rashi points out there is no, Rebuta does not learn the Gezer Shava. We thought that he learned a Gezer Shava. No, he doesn't learn the, the word comparison from Parhelem to, uh, to Egla Rufa. So we drop that approach, the word comparison. And the word Shoftecha, according to Rabbi Yudah, is like Rabbi Shimon. And Vav Leminyona. The letter Vav, we had, what did Rabbi Shimon do with the word Shoftecha? He needed the word Veshoftecha for the, the Sanhedrin HaGodol reference. What about the word Zikenecha? So, Rabbi uh, Yuda and Rabbi Shimon agree that Zekinecha teaches me two. With regard to Rabbi Yehuda, there's a Vav. The word, the letter Vav of Vishovtecha, that letter Vav, Leminyona. For Rabbi Yehuda, that's for counting purposes, meaning another two. So you have Zekinecha gives you two. Vav of Veshoftecha, the Vav letter, gives you another two. And you can't have an even quart. Hence, five. The word Shoftecha is not for number purposes. It's to tell me members of high court. The Rebbe Shimon, we continue at the top of Daf Memhei. Vav lo mashmalei. He doesn't see any significance in the Vav. So, as far as Rabbi Shimon is concerned, the Vav isn't going to increase the number from the basic three that Rabbi Shimon had arrived at by the word Zekinecha and Ein Bezdin Shokel. The Gemara asks a question. If we're learning from the fact that uh, the Torah states things in the plural form, with that we conclude our Shior for today. This was a presentation of the Daf Map. We hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe 
to be informed of our other videos. For resources and more information, please visit our website at www.thedoffmap.com.